Hey guys, I believe that I incorrectly referred to the University of Cambridge as Cambridge University a few times in this episode, and I just wanted to let uh, everyone know that I realized the mistake, but it would have taken literally forever to fix it throughout the episode, so instead I just put this disclaimer at the beginning, and I apologize for anybody that was offended by this, that was my mistake, but I wanted to make people aware that I am aware that I screwed up, and... This is my way of fixing it. <laughs> Thanks. You done fell right down that rabbit hole, so reality is questionable. Try, but you just can't let it go. These two right here pulled on the show. It's paranormal overload with Southern hospitality. Haunted murder, mayhem, tip by discussing immortality. Locations with a dark past, history that comes to life. Hillbillies with a knack for everything that goes bump at night. Overthinking if you by yourself, these two will have you turning on the lights. Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right. Hey, welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Now here's your hosts, Jerry and Tracy Paul, Heather Dog Ninja. Hey guys, welcome to episode 293 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. As you can hear, I have my voice back. Uh, that will not be the case for the uh, interview that I do later tonight. Oh, That's yeah. on the show. Trust me, that's about as bad as it gets. Sorry, <laughs> luckily, y'all. Luckily, I didn't do most of the talking on that one. So. <laughs> With that being said, we've actually got Isaac and Megan, a husband and wife team from Hidden in the Shadows, Paranormal. I like that. You guys are really going to like this. Good. And I know I say that about all of them, but <laughs> trust me when I tell you, uh, Isaac has some stories. Ooh. And uh, this is one that I debated making an episode all of its own. Mm-hmm. But luckily for us and for you guys, I've got so many good ones coming up that are already recorded that I've been putting some extras out on Monday because I don't want you to wait Two months before you hear some of these. Oh, okay. Good idea. So, how about that? All right, Tracy, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thanks to all of you, especially during these especially trying times. I'm sure there's a lot of our military from all over the world that is probably eyes on what's happening in the Ukraine and concerned about how that may affect them at a later date. So, uh, we're thinking about all you guys and gals. Yeah, we sure are, guys. Sorry y'all have to go through this nonsense, but, you know, we got you. I'm praying for you. Just come home safe. I, I saw something from um, Shelby Lenora. Her, um, She's a military family, obviously. Mm-hmm. Her husband, Casey, is, is in the military, and he's been deployed several times. And she posted something that I never would have thought about. But she had said... She's been getting a lot of messages, obviously, people concerned and saying, hey, we're thinking about you. And, you know, I'm sure you're concerned about what could happen because obviously if you're in the military, when something like this goes on, it's up in the air. What's mm-hmm. going to happen next? And she said that, though, she was thankful for all the people that responded, that a lot of military families, they try to keep their mind off of it. They're not trying to think about what could be. So they're trying to just go out and and just do their regular daily yeah. routine oh, yeah. and not think about it. 
So it's actually, even though you mean well, she said it's better if you don't write the military families and say, hey, we're thinking about you and this and that, because that makes them think about it mm-hmm. when they're trying well, to keep their that makes sense. So something I was going to throw out there since I saw that, and I wouldn't have thought about that myself. I wouldn't have either. You know, maybe it's something if you got some friends in the military, I don't know, maybe just tell them you love them or something like that, mm-hmm. but maybe don't, don't bring up or ask about it because it might make it harder on the family. Uh-huh. So. I understand that. Tracy, the world's crazy. It just, overall, it just is. There's a, you know, so many things going on that can get people down, uh, especially people who already have depression problems. And we just want you to know that if you've got friends, you know, are struggling, reach out to them. Don't wait for them to reach out to you. And, you know, some people have a lot of pride and they just won't talk. But if you approach them, maybe they will. Yeah, they sure will. And that's all they need sometimes, just somebody to listen. So y'all can reach out to the group. You can reach out to Jerry and I anytime, day or night. And if you don't want to do that and you want to call the 800 number, it's 1-800-273-8255. You can text at 741-741. But everybody will welcome you with loving arms, and we're always here for you. Without a doubt. So. Yeah. All right. Tracy, I absolutely love the stories that we've done on the past on haunted colleges. I love the haunted high schools that we've done, mm-hmm. and we've done a couple of those. I just love the fact, I guess there's something about being a young adult and trying to go get your learn on and not only having the pressures of your regular student would have, but also having to deal with the ghosts as well. That's kind of like that. So rather than focus, though, on this episode, on one particular school, I thought I would grab some stories from a few different universities. Oh, okay. Sort of. Oh. (laughs) We always got to throw in something like that. (laughs) You see, most of you have probably heard of Cambridge University. It's obviously a very prestigious university over in Great Britain. What... You might not know, though, is that Cambridge University is also made up of several smaller colleges. So it's like they have a whole uh, system of colleges that make up the university. So you may go to um, Gale University, but that's part of Cambridge's uh, system, so... Mm-hmm. You can still be going to not the actual Cambridge University, but still be a part of Cambridge University. Mm-hmm. And I think I, we do something similar here, obviously. Like, um, you know, you'll have, you know, IUPUI, which is Indiana University, Purdue University at Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. So you actually have that. That school is actually part of Indiana University and Purdue University. Or you'll have, you know, schools that are part of the University of Kentucky at, you know, whatever city or something. So we kind of do that too. But I thought I thought it was cool that, because uh, I didn't realize that Cambridge University wasn't just one big school. I didn't realize that there was a whole right. system yeah, I didn't that either. was all part of it. So I thought that was interesting. Several of the smaller colleges that make up uh, that group have resident ghosts. So while we're going to talk about multiple colleges, they're all still part of Cambridge University. All right. The first is Corpus Christi College. And when I thought, when I think Corpus Christi, I think Corpus Christi, Texas. 
I didn't know there was any other Corpus Christi in the world. No, I didn't either. But Corpus Christi College was actually founded in 1352. It's been a college. Get out. How can they even It's know been a about college a before there were uh, European settlers, even in the United States or North America. I, I guess I'm just fascinated about how they would know to do a college back in those days or, you know. I mean, it's still higher learning, and I think that's the main thing. A college is always higher learning, so it's just advanced studies of whatever the subject would be. But no, I get you. You know, what were they, the, were they studying things in 1352 that a seventh grader would study today? Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. I would, I'd be interested. Anyways, like I said, it was founded in 1352, and they have a ghost known as the Corpus Ghost. And that's as much as we really know on the matter. Now, we got other stuff, obviously, but... Mm-hmm. The question is, who is the ghost? And that's up for debate. Some believe that it is Dr. Butts. Mm-hmm. That's not funny. You're immature. I know. Dr. Butts. Seymour. Actually, that is his first name. Shut up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> his first name was Big. Big Butts. <laughs> Dr. Butts, who was the headmaster for six years, but then he committed suicide by oh, hanging no. himself. With a noose that he'd made from a handkerchief. Well, how big was his handkerchief? It had to be pretty big. Or he had a very small neck. I mean, I, I would think a handkerchief might be a little different than we think of handkerchiefs today. Oh, that's still sad. He, hang, he hanged himself in the Master Lodge on Easter Day, April 1st, 1632. And I was reading up a little bit about that. I went to a different source and I don't remember exactly everything, but it wouldn't your typical hanging. It's like where he did it was, it's almost like under, under a desk or something like that. It said a little higher, but like under a table. But it was done in a way to where he just let his body like loose. Like he was still, you think of a traditional hanging of your whole body is in the air. Yeah. And his wasn't like that. He actually was like, he was letting the weight pull him down for the hanging. But like his legs and stuff were like laying on sideways the oh, I was gonna on say, the floor. Oh. And I mean, honestly. That seems the, uncomfortable. Well, not to get morbid and, and discuss these things. But I mean, I think if I remember correctly, I think Robin Williams, when he hung himself, he hung himself from like the doorknob of a door. So he did something similar where he more or less was sitting, but. Enough to where his weight did it. And I believe that it was something similar with Chris Cornell. I think it was like a exercise band. Mm. You know, like those stretchy bands yeah. and done from the door. So, I mean, neither, no, you know, so when I saw that at first, I thought that was strange. But then I've realized that there were two cases that I've heard. So, I mean. Yeah, very sad. You know, it, it seems, like I said, not to try to get more, but it, but it seems like that would be a very hard way to do it because it would yeah. seem like that once it would take you, longer and well it seemed like once you got to the point to where you realized that you're not getting any air that you could just get up right right and that would you know it would be hard to ignore that and just continue on I but agree with you He isn't the only person though thought to be the ghost there's another headmaster that some believe to be the culprit 
His name was Dr. William Spencer. He was there in the late 1600s, so not too much longer, probably 30, 40 years after this gentleman. He was also a minister. And the story goes that his daughter became involved in having an affair during this time. Now, depending on the story that you hear, it's either the daughter or her lover that actually is responsible for the haunting. So some people think it's the headmaster. Some people think it's his daughter. Some people think it's the daughter's lover. So it really goes on around. The more gruesome story suggests that it's her lover. Legend says that the two were interrupted during, um, well, you know, somebody kind of walked in, I guess, or yeah. knocked on a door or something, but they were disturbed right. in the middle of, you know. Um, so she tried, she tried to hide the lover in a cupboard. <laughs> and he suffocated. Oh, no, stop. He did. Oh, my God. And that's why some people think it's him. There's no record of what actually happened to the daughter. How crazy is that? Or the cupboard. Oh, my goodness. That's so crazy. We do know that the old lodge where this happened was converted into sets of rooms for undergraduates in 1825. It's been long reputed that the upper rooms in the corner of Old Court, not far from the kitchens, were haunted. There are no records of the hauntings, though, until 1883. That's the year that a Mr. W.S., I think the name's Mole, M-O-U-L-E, so I'm going to pronounce it as Mole. He was a freshman there, and he had one of the rooms up there in the old master lodge. His uncle Charles was a senior there at the time, and he stayed in the exact same section of that floor. So he was up there with his uncle. Charles had often been troubled by mysterious noises, but he was reluctant to talk about it until much later in life. On one occasion, he was so terrified that he crawled out of his dorm room on his hands and knees in broad daylight. Whoa. And I'm assuming people saw that and oh, they made fun they, of him. And I'm sure they did. W.S. Mull was familiar with this type of instances because he had had his own. He would often hear loud bangs like a trap door falling or the slamming of a cupboard door. Uh-oh. Yes, it was not uh, a very appealing thing. And obviously when you hear the cupboard door, mm -hmm, that makes you think. think right. Right. There was an also an instance that involved one of his friends by the name of Eric Lewis. He had stayed in the rooms that were right next to W.S.'s. One night, he was so scared from the noises that he had heard that he came to W.S.'s room and said, you know what, um, I'd like to chill in here for a little bit. And they <laughs> said, okay, that's fine. But he was really, really psyched out at the mm -hmm. time. And the only thing they said that calmed him down was prayer. Good. Of course, this was the uh, 1800s, so... People were a lot more real religious back then. Mm -hmm. So The chefs were also scared. None of the kitchen staff would stay in the kitchen after dark. I remember we said these rooms were near the kitchen, but I think up 11. Well, this must have been something else if all these people were that scared. Well, all this stuff we've talked about is fairly tame. Mm -hmm. It's noises and stuff. That changed in 1903. The noises became louder and more frequent. An undergraduate was awoken in the middle of the night by thunderous knocking. Then the washstand in front of his bed started violently shaking. But no ghost was ever seen. Uh, that changed, though. 1904, the next year. 
That's when... Just trying to build up to it, I guess. Right. It's a very dramatic pause. It took <laughs> several years. Llewellyn Poise was a student there, and he had the room across from the ones that were supposed to be haunted. Okay? Mm-hmm. But that's going to play in. He was the first person to actually see the Corpus Ghost. He had just gotten back to his room. It was around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He sat at his desk, started to study. And as soon as he did, he said he felt an uneasiness. They got so bad that he couldn't even concentrate on what he was doing. So, he felt drawn to go to the window and look across the court. Now, what you got here, picture, picture you're in a building. And then you look out your window and you've got a courtyard, but then straight across from you on the other side of the courtyard, there's another set of buildings. Mm-hmm. That's the way this was. Okay. So he's looking out across the courtyard and he looks over at a um, one of the apartments that are actually higher than his. And he notices that there's a torso of a man leaning out the window of one of those upper rooms that was straight across from his. He didn't recognize the man. He just said he had long hair, which was unusual for the time. He said the man started glaring down at him, but he was completely motionless. He's just staring, but wasn't moving at all. Poi said that he stood at the window for a full three minutes before going to his bedroom because he thought he could get a better view. Mm Mm-hmm. By the time he got there, the man was completely gone. So, he ran out of his room and across the the courtyard, and he went to the apartment where the man was hanging out. But he said the door was locked, so he knocked, got no answer. He later found out that the student that actually occupied that room had been gone the entire day. So, there couldn't have been anyone. So, he, he was the only one in the apartment that lived there? Yes, Over the following months, the ghost became more troublesome. A student in the room under the one where the ghost was seen hanging out the window. Mm -hmm. He awoke at 5 a.m. to see a white figure standing by his bed. It just stood there for a few minutes before disappearing through a closed door. Student got up, he got dressed, and he left his room immediately. (laughs) I feel you, bro. Uh Uh-huh. In 1904, same year, Three students attempted an exorcism of the building, and it's said that they were sprinkling holy water around the apartment, uh, or, or the section of the building, I should say, not the apartment. And all three of them were hurled back by an invisible force. All three of them saw the ghost. They said it was a strangely menacing appearing man. It was cut off at the knees. And it disappeared. And when that happened, so did the stories of the haunting. That was it? Yep. They had no more? Not according to anything that I saw. I'll be dang. How about that? That's that's awesome. All right, so let's move on to the next college. Girton College. This was the very first women's college to be founded in uh, Great Britain. Nice. But it was the second to become part of the Cambridge system because it was the first 
But by the time it joined Cambridge, they already had a different one. That, I guess so, even though it was the first, they weren't the first to join Cambridge. Yeah, so that makes the, sense. Okay. It's confusing at first till you think about it. <laughs> it's like one of those trick questions. Anyway, the school opened up in 1869, which is roughly, I think, the same time that University of Kentucky opened up. I think it was 1867, if I remember. Well, I didn't realize. Or 1863, but it's 1860s. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. There's not a lot to identify the ghosts that are at this building, so the details are a bit sketchy, to say the least. Most of these tales have been handed down over the years since the late 1800s. And the first story goes all the way back to 1881. So the school was still... In its infancy, it was like 11 years old, so they were still doing some construction and right. stuff like that around campus. And there was an area of rough ground in front of one of the the uh, first buildings where they were getting ready to lay a lawn. I hope they at least bought it dinner first. <laughs> anyway, I didn't know that... I was going to say, did they do sod back in the I, day? Yeah, I didn't know that they did sod. That's the way they made it sound. I would have thought they just planted grass seeding back then, but... Oh, I, I mean, know. I guess they can. I mean, I mean, I'm sure they could. I just didn't didn't know they had the mm-hmm. uh, not capability. I just didn't know they had the knowledge. Yeah. To think, hey, if I just take this layer of grass and put it somewhere else to grow, but I don't know. I'm learning all kinds of new stuff. Have to look that up. So during the excavation, they uncovered bodies. Oh, that's not good. No, not not typically. Yes. Girton College had been built on an ancient burial ground. Oh my goodness. It's dated back to when Huntingdon Road had been used as a Roman thoroughfare. And they found bodies that were some, after doing some checking, some turned out to be ancient Romans and some turned out to be other people. But they know for a fact that there were some ancient Romans there. The only sighting that was ever reported was that of a student walking in the area. She said that she saw a Roman centurion marching along the edge of the excavated area. Maybe it was a coincidence, but Romans were buried there, and the graves had been disturbed, so... The second story is that of the Grey Lady. It was also only seen once, but it was by a group of young ladies, so it wasn't an individual. In 1876, a small block was built in a remote corner of the college. It was from Thomas Taylor and his wife, and it was there to commemorate their daughter, E.H. Taylor. She had been accepted to Girton College. She was excited about attending, but tragically passed away before she could ever make it to campus. Do you know what happened to her? No, I don't. Aww. Shortly after the stone was in place, a group of students claimed that they had seen an apparition in the form of of a gray lady. The experience had taken place on a spiral staircase in the same part of the school as the commemorative stone. The students that were familiar with the tragedy were convinced that it was Miss Taylor. They assumed that since she was deprived from going to college there, that she found a way, even though it was unorthodox, to attend regardless. Well, good for her. It'd be a lot less studying, too. That's true. I mean, and they could, she could look over people's shoulders and get the answer. Yeah, you know, so win-win. Except for the whole dead part. <laughs> could you see the professors? Hey, did uh, Miss Taylor come to your class today? No, she ghosted me. <laughs> <laughs> In 
That was very crude. I hope none of her relatives are listening to this. Oh, gosh. Anyways, that was the only sighting, but the story was handed down for several years after that. Now, skeptics say that the campus was lit by paraffin candles at the time, so there was not very good lighting anywhere on campus at nighttime, and lots of flickering of the candles that could cause plenty of shadows. So some believe that the shadows may have uh, mistakenly be thought to be the ghost. Yeah. That's plausible. I, I could see that, yeah. And because I wanted to talk about another cupboard ghost, we're going to discuss Clare College. Okay. This story. Uh, Clare is the second oldest of the colleges in the Cambridge system, and it opened in 1326. It has had more changes of the name than any of the other colleges. But it's Clare College now. Well, I mean, it's had a lot of years to change names. <laughs> okay, so Clare College doesn't really have a traditional ghost story. But I included this anyway, because it's still very fascinating. We're going to talk about Dr. Robert Green. He was born in Staffordshire in, I'm sorry, they pronounced it over Staffordshire. Okay. Anyways. I wouldn't know the difference. In 1678. That's when he was born. His dad was a cloth merchant, and he sent his son, Robert Green, to Cambridge at the age of 17. And when I say Cambridge, I mean the city of Cambridge, not the college. Mm -hmm. At 17. And he was admitted to Clare College in 1695. In 1703, he became a vicar at the... Um, Parish of Everton, where he remained until his death in 1730. Green later became the dean of college at Clare. Oh, nice. Now, he was a tad bit eccentric, to say the least. He would eventually publicize his strange views on a range of subjects. He denied, for example, the existence of vacuum. There's no vacuum. There's vacuum, obviously, you know, suction and yeah. stuff like that. Why did he deny that? I don't know. I mean, he just did. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I didn't think it was that weird, though, because you've actually denied the existence <laughs> of vacuum. Whatever. At least the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> so, But anyway, he questioned the theory of gravity and insisted, get this, that the circle could be a square. But no one really knew what he meant by that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you remember who discovered or at least came up with the theory of relativity? I mean, uh, the theory of gravity? No. Sir Isaac Newton. I didn't know that. Okay. I knew you did. But... I didn't know it, but my brain can't work on that speed. <laughs> Try to know it's going so fast. Yeah, well, my brain can't think that fast, I should say. Well,. He was violently opposed to Sir Isaac Newton's uh, scientific theories, which he believed went against religion. Okay. I guess somehow gravity went against religion. Okay, that's a little bizarre. Drop an apple, it falls. Yeah. That goes against religion. Oh, come on now. I mean, maybe because Eve was holding the apple and didn't drop it. I don't know. Oh. Regardless. Sounds like he's reaching. Believe it or not, Sir Isaac Newton... Died three years before Green. They were actually in the area and both teaching at different colleges at the same time. Oh. Did they know that? 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, they did. Yeah, they didn't like each other, to say the least. Um, I said Green was obviously at Claire, and Sir Isaac Newton taught at another college called Trinity College, which is also part of the Cambridge system. All right, so... Is he why we have Fig Newtons? Because if it is, that's gross. I don't think that has anything to do with Fig Newtons. Okay, just wondering. (laughs) God love you. Green was also an author. His first book was published in 1712 under the catchy title of, and follow me on this, The Principle of Natural Philosophy in which is shown the insufficiency of the present systems to give any just account of that science. Wait, that was the title and not the chapter? That's the name of the book? book? Why is it going to make it so long? This may surprise you. It was the subject of a lot of jokes. The book in general. He didn't care, though, because he wrote another book in 1727 that was 980 pages long. You want to know the name of that book? Do you need to take a deep breath? I do. The Principles of the Philosophy of the Expansive and Contrative Forces or an Inquiry into the Principles of Modern Philosophy, that is, onto the several chief rational sciences which are extart. That's the name of the book. That is what... Come on, man. The only one interested in Green's views was Green himself. Nobody bought his books. Well, shit, they were exhausted by the time they read the (laughs) title of the book. You read a title like that, you automatically know there's going to be a lot in this book. (laughs) Okay, so we've established that he was a unique individual. So it will not surprise you when we discuss the details of his will. To start with, there was to be a bookshelf erected in the college library to hold his collection of books, his memorabilia that he had collected over the years. And he wanted to donate that to the college. Then, he wanted four memorial stones, like the one we talked about earlier, to be erected for him in four locations. Clare College, the chapel. He wanted in these things in the chapel. He's a very religious man. He wanted it in the Clare College Chapel, the King's College Chapel, Great St. Mary's, the University Church, and on the north side of the parish church in his hometown of Transnorth. So, what do you think he wanted written on these things, memorial stones? Because... Uh. He left a very long and flattering description that he wanted on these. I was just going to say, I'm sure it was like a very long sentence. Yeah. So anyway, he I didn't even write down what it was because it was goofy. Yeah. But he wrote what he wanted put on there. Mm-hmm. It gets stranger. All right, here we go. The strangest part of his will was that he required that his body be dissected. And that all the fragments, except for the bones, should be collected and buried at All Saints Church in Cambridge. Unless a new college chapel had been built before he died. And in that case, he wanted his remains to be buried at the new college chapel. Mm -hmm. As for his bones, they were to be displayed in the library next to the bookshelf with his books. His bones, did you say? Okay. Now, he had to get the school to comply with these terms, and they did. Why did they comply? Because 
Green agreed to donate his home to the school if they did. That was nice. And 200 pounds, not weight, weight yeah. dollar-wise, 200 pounds worth of stocks that he had. Now, Green was sure that Clare College would be a little reluctant when he first asked them about uh, complying with this peculiar request, as you can imagine. So he was prepared to make the same offer to St. John's, Trinity, and Jesus Colleges. Green was staying with relatives when he actually passed away in August of 1730. That was in Tamworth, which is quite a ways away from Cambridge. Now, it's unlikely that in the middle of summer that his body would have been transported to Cambridge. Therefore, he was probably buried, all of him, including his bones, in Tamworth. Clare College didn't honor him in any way, or honor any of his wishes, until 12 years later when they established two scholastic uh, awards for students in his honor. Why'd they wait so long? I don't know. They still actually have those same uh, awards for students today. Oh, that's nice. What about the skeleton? Well, they didn't have it, so they got permission from Green's family to use um, another skeleton. It's an anonymous skeleton. But they put it up there and just said it was Green's. But they had his family's permission to do that. I guess they figured something's better than nothing. It was eventually moved to the chapel. And then in 1763, it was moved to the library. And again, it moved again in 1818. The skeleton gets around. Sounds like it. But the last move, well, the skeleton was not quite as visible as it was in the other places. It was placed in a cupboard at the top of a staircase near the student hall. It stayed there for years, and then it disappeared after a fire that damaged a lot of the building in 1890. It said that graduates, as the students would would actually graduate, Mm -hmm. they would take a bone from the skeleton as like a memento. And then just over the years... And there was nothing left. There was nothing left. Yeah. So they think that's what happened. It wasn't, you know, when somebody just took it, they just think it one by one, it just disappeared. And uh, the awards, by the way, I didn't mention this, the awards that they're still getting away, they're called Green Cups. Green Cups? Yeah, because his name was Green. Okay. And that's what the awards are. Anyways... There's a reason why I wanted to tell this story. Because there is a saying in England called skeleton in a cupboard. And that comes from there. From this. That's where the term comes from. Now, I didn't look it up as I should have. But I'm willing to bet that it's the same thing as our saying skeleton in the closet. Mm-hmm. I think it's the exact same thing. Probably. So... But that's where it came from. But the cupboard didn't have any glass in it, so you really had to open the cupboard no, I to think, see it? I think a cupboard's just more like a wardrobe or... Thing. Or, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it had anything that glass you could see. It's probably just mm-hmm. a couple of doors that open up on top, almost like the pantries you get or whatever. So, anyways. Hmm, that's interesting. That's our story for this week. Well, So, we're going to take a quick sponsor break, and then we'll be back. And obviously, we're going to do this interview that you guys are absolutely going to love. So, I'm excited for you to hear it. 
but pay attention not to my voice because <laughs> that's horrible. Yeah. All right, guys, some quick housekeeping. Obviously, we've got these live shows that are getting ready to happen. The first one is in April in Louisville, Kentucky with us, Ohio, and Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances. And I might have a few other little surprises on hand there. We'll find out when we get there. But that's going to be a super fun show. It's going to kick off the ones we got for the year. Like I said, it's a shorter schedule than we usually do, especially with the cruise coming up, which is the next thing we'll talk about. There is still time to get on the cruise. Hell, Rob from Brohio just booked his room like last week. How cool. (laughs) Well, good. I mean, I mean, I, I would hope he would have booked it already, but uh, you know, since he's you know one of the people that's going to be performing, but oh yeah, uh. <laughs> but he waited until last week to get his room. So there's there's rooms available. So go ahead and do that. But uh, we got that, and then uh, obviously we've got Serial Spirits and us for our anniversary show up August, and um, I think we're going to be at Scarefest this year. Uh, we originally hadn't done that. I want to make people aware that it was the same weekend as what our Bobby Mackey show is. And I have actually changed the date on the Bobby Mackey show. Now, uh, at this point in time, nobody had bought tickets yet for Bobby Mackey, so it doesn't affect anybody uh, so far. But that is changed till the Sunday before. So if you go to buy tickets, it will actually have the correct date on there. Uh, so just wanted to let people know we did that so we could be at Scarefest the next weekend and set up. So haven't got all the details worked out on that. But that was a conflict that kept us from doing it last year. And I scheduled it at the exact same time this year without realizing. So that's something we got going on. But also we got our Indianapolis show coming up in July with our friends uh, up in Indianapolis, middle-aged and creeped out, getting ready to celebrate their one-year anniversary. And, of course, our uh, Tragedy of Cinema buddies. So that's going to be fun. It'll be a uh, mostly Indianapolis show, except for us. We're not in Indianapolis, but we'll be there that day. So technically... And the last thing before we turn it over to Tracy, I wanted to point out again, because I, I hardly ever talk about it, even though I've read it on the show, but the book that I wrote, Hibbly Horror Stories from Hell to High Water, is still available. You can get signed copies on uh, our website, hibblyhorrorstories.com, where you can buy merchandise and show tickets. All that's on hibblyhorrorstories.com. But it's also available on Amazon. The ones you get... From our website, it actually is signed and dedicated and sent out to you that way. And I always throw a couple of stickers and stuff like that in there for it. And uh, but if but if you'd rather get it on Amazon, it is available on Amazon. And I ask that if anybody has gotten and read the book, to uh, go leave us a review on Amazon. It definitely helps out. And if you know somebody that might be struggling with uh, mental health, the book might be something that'll help them out. So it might make a good gift to somebody. So, anyways, I'll turn it over to Tracy so she can tell us what's going on with iTunes and uh, Patreon. Okay, this week on iTunes, we have Karen Scholl, Fire1523, and Amy Jeeps. And for our Patreons, we have Randy Pritchard, Mimi Bosarge, Cynthia Parker, and Sheila Wilson. Thank you guys so much for your awesome reviews, and thank you for your patronage. We really appreciate you guys more than you'll ever know. Keep those reviews coming. We love you guys, and we appreciate any feedback that we get. Awesome. All right, so we're going to listen to this interview from uh, Hidden in the Shadows. It's Isaac and his wife, Megan, but Megan couldn't be on this particular interview. She's uh, taking care of their their five-year-old child. Okay. So it's just Isaac, but trust me, 
we'll get some people to respond to this because Isaac um, talks about a specific gift that he has that I had never heard of anyone having before. And I think you guys are going to be fascinated by this. So take a listen. Hey guys, I'm excited because uh, I've got a new podcast that I've been listening to and uh, another husband and wife team out there. And I've really liked this one. And I thought, uh, hey, it'd be fun to, to bring this one to you guys. So I reached out to Isaac, him and his wife, Megan, do the Hidden in the Shadows podcast. They've been doing it about a year and a half. And man, these these guys have a ton of experiences. So they're going to share some of those experiences. At least Isaac is. Uh, his wife, Megan, is actually taking care of their five-year-old. So we understand that. But he's going to tell us some of their stories from growing up in haunted houses to their childhood together and uh, experiences later because now they, lo and behold, are paranormal investigators as well. Isaac, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate it a lot. So... Tell me a little bit about, for those who haven't heard the uh, Hidden in the Shadows podcast, tell them what the podcast is. What are they going to hear when they tune in? Well, you're going to hear an in-depth discussion about a certain subject coming from people that me and my wife particularly um, are, as I experienced with most stuff, like I I usually tell people that we don't, uh, we don't. We haven't experienced everything that we talk about. We experienced most things we talk about um, when it comes from everything paranormal that's happened to us since we were kids. And then the stuff that happened to us when we were together, when we first started dating. And even now that we're married, um, every house that she's ever lived in has been haunted, not just because she has that kind of bad luck. <laughs> it's just because uh, spirits have followed her around since she was a kid. Um, a ranch that I've talked about numerous on the podcast, I call it the infamous ranch is the ranch I grew up on when I was a kid. Um, and everything paranormal that I ever experienced, majority of it was on that ranch from, I believe, a cryptoid, I think, um, is the best way I can describe it, from most things haunting and paranormal to a possible alien sighting as well. Um, with uh, one of my friends, we were just sitting on the porch and we actually uh, saw lights in the sky. But, um, yeah, uh, it, most of the stuff we talk about is from that. And then also, ever since we and my wife became paranormal investigators, we like to give, like we like to call haunted updates in the beginning of the episode of anything that paranormal has happened to us throughout the week bef- between episodes and stuff like that. Um, but most of the time, we, we take our time trying to give our perspective on what we uh, what the paranormal subject is about and uh, in, in everything we talk about. Sounds like you grew up on uh, Skinwalker Ranch. <laughs> <laughs> That's what a lot of people have said. In the interviews I've said before, they said, God, it sounds like like Skinwalker Ranch or like Stardust Ranch or something like that. I'm like, nah, not that extreme. Um, funny enough, uh, one of the, I could, I could start to tell this story. Uh, when I was a kid, I would say probably 11 or 12 during the summer when we were in school, I have two younger brothers. They're only about my second youngest, about a year younger and then my youngest brother is about two years younger than me. So I think I was. 13 i think my youngest brother was 12 my youngest brother and my youngest brother was about 10 um we were bored and staying up late and we were always told stories from our uncle that uh this burnt down barn that's on the other side of a fence about maybe 100 yards away from the house 
was apparently a witch lived there and stuff like that. He would, I think he just mostly told us to, you know, keep us out from there. But so we were like, let's go, let's go investigate. Let's go check it out. You see if he's lying to us. Right. So we, uh, <laughs> we all dress in black and we go out there and my youngest brother, he handles our old tiny on the shoulder uh, camera. Uh, Cause this was like what 2000, no earlier than that. It's about 99, I think. Um, and we were going out there and at night and I think I grabbed machete and my, my uh, second younger brother, he grabbed the ax and we were walking to the fence line and there, it basically it's a road that goes straight, the dirt road that goes straight out to the highway. And then if you go maybe 20, 30 yards down it on your left would be an open field and then the house off in the distance. So we were on our way there and there's a tree line that kind of blocks your view until you get to that point where it comes open field. And we were walking and we got to the point of fence line and my second youngest brother, the one holding the, uh, the ax, he got furthest out from us. And uh, he stopped. I looked at him like, hey, Gabe, well, what'd you stop? Um, he just stares out into the field and points. And mind you, it's, it's nighttime and the moon was out. So it wasn't relatively like you couldn't see anything out. And he points out to the field. And I'm like, what are you pointing at? And I just get the glimpse. I look, I, I get close to him and I look. What I see is a white figure like kneeling in like kind of squatting in the grass and then stands up and then turns around and walks away. And we all three of us haul ass back to the house and stuff like that. Had no idea what it was and nothing like that. Um, and we, we told our parents that they're telling oh, you seen stuff like that. And, you know, your typical horror movie parents, you know, there's nothing there. Um, but that was one of the incidents that happened to me when I was a kid. Now, later in life, I think when I was a teenager, um, I think I was 16. Me, I had a couple of friends. I was staying over. I was over at his house on a Saturday and he asked me if I want to spend the night so we could go to church in the morning. And I was like, yeah, I just have to go back to the house and get some stuff. So we get in his car and we drive to my, my ranch. And granted, he lived in town and I lived out where I lived. My branch was probably about 15 minutes out of town, out in the boonies, out of the middle of nowhere. And we drive up there. I think it was me, my friend Steven, and my friend Matt. And we were in Steven's car, and he was driving. And I think I was in the back while Matt was riding shotgun. And this is important to our positions. And we get to my house. Lights are off. The porch light's out, so it's dark outside. You can't really see anything. And me and Steven get out of the car. So I go to my house, get the clothes, get you know, a few things, stuff like that. And Matt's staying in the car. I'm like, you going to stay? He's like, yeah, I'll stay. I'm like, are you sure? And I've told him stories about the ranch before. I've told him numerous stories. So I'm like, are you sure you want to stay out here? He's like, yeah, yeah, fine. I'm like, all right. So me and Steven go inside, spend maybe, maybe seven or eight minutes inside, grabbing my things and leaving. And as I'm walking out, I'm like, oh, it's dark. Let me turn the porch light on. So I turn the porch light on. We step out. We walk over to the car. And Matt, who was in the shotgun position, is now in the back. I'm like, what are you doing in the back? And he looks at us terrified and goes, get in the car. I'm like, what, what's going on? Get, get in the car, get in the car now. He's like, he's yelling at me. I'm like, all right. So I throw my stuff in the truck. We get in. And as we're driving away, he's telling us when we are in the house, he, he heard a hoof stomp next to the car and then off at a distance. Then next to the car and then off at a distance. And this kept repeating. For like a minute, and he was getting freaked out because he's looking around. He didn't see nothing. Like he, it was dark. He couldn't tell what was around. So he hopped in the back seat because he wanted to get you know a full view of everything. And he heard like a think against the side of the car, and then a, a, like almost like someone had a nail or a claw <laughs> scratching the side of the car. And he gets in like the fetal position, and like I don't, I don't hear this. I don't hear this. 
and it, like, scratching the car. And then he was about to start honking the horn when I flipped the porch light on and was walking out. And as he's telling this, as we're driving out back into town, mind you, dark, no, no street lamps or nothing, just fence and open fields and some people's houses every now and then. Um, if anyone's ever in the countryside, they probably know what I'm talking about. But as we were driving back and he's telling us this, we notice every deer. And I believe me, I've hit a lot of deer driving on this when I was young. Um, every deer was stopped and standing on the side of the road and staring at us as we were driving away. They didn't run into the middle of the road. They didn't do what a typical deer would do. They just stood there and stared at us as we were driving back into town. That was extremely strange and freaky enough to begin with. But then we get back to the house. So we check the car to make sure, is he telling us the truth or he's messing with us? And yeah, lo and behold, there is a long needle-sized scratch from the front of the car all the way to the back of the car. Uh, that's one of the encounters on my ranch that we uh, we dealt with. Other than me hearing different voices, knocks, um, strange things like that. Uh, I think later in life, uh, one of the other experiences I remember on the ranch was when I moved out of my parents' trailer and i'm we didn't want to leave the ranch but i didn't want to live with my parents anymore so my grandparents who lived maybe 50 yards from their house on the same property uh he had my grandfather had 10 kids so he had to build a separate like i want to call it like an apartment building uh outside uh that was two stories that he had all these rooms and of course no one was living in it all his all his grand all his kids were adults and moved away so he offered for me and my second younger brother to live in separate rooms up there. So, yeah, we took that. So I kind of like living on your own, but not really. That's pretty um, cool. Yeah. And one of the night, one of, and we, me and my brother started working overnight as grocery stockers for uh, this grocery store in Texas called HEB. And so we would sleep during the day, work at night. And we did that for a long time or about eight years, I think. Anyway, um, one of the weird things that happened to me while I was up in that room is midway between awake and asleep uh, during the day, mind you, uh, I kept hearing, get up, get up, get up. Like someone telling me, get up. And I remember opening my eyes just a little bit to see what, what like maybe it was my brother. All I saw was a girl in a Victorian dress, like, like frilly, like lacy frilly, but it was all black. Her dress was black. Her skin was black. Her hair was black. Every inch of her was black, like oil black, like someone painted her black in a sense. And I could see her like, get up, get up, and then get up, and then slam with my the, my uh, my nightstand right next to me. And I woke up like, what the heck? And when I finally woke up, there was nothing there. But my uh, water bottle that was on the nightstand was like shaking, like something just like hit it in this the, the table, still vibrating. <laughs> and, and and nothing happened after because a lot of times when you get something like that. There'll be a fire or there'll be something dangerous where somebody woke you up for a specific reason, but you didn't have any kind of reason to for her to be yelling at you. No. And I remember telling my brother about it. I was like, I walked in his room. He's like, oh, I saw this girl in there. He, he said, oh, you saw her, too. I'm like, what the hell? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you mean you saw her? Like, I saw her stand at the foot of the bed one morning when I woke up or morning to us, evening to everybody else. Um, <laughs> when I was going to sleep, I was like, oh, shit. And. I mean, those are only two times we ever saw her. Um, among the times we spent up there uh, on the ranch, I got like tw- like tons of more stories about that. We, we talk about on the the podcast just from things I experienced. I think one of the kind of cryptoid things I think I experienced um, was uh, this happened. I was young. I think I was like 10, 11, I think. 
And during the day, and we're at, at my still living with my parents at the time in the trailer, and we we hear like a screeching, loud, like animalistic kind of yell coming from the woods in the back of our house. And granted, they're not dense woods, but they're still you can't see like you know fifty yards in there without actually like trying to look or maybe have a scope or something. Right. But we hear this screeching like animal. It, it, I was a kid, and it, it, I, the first thought that came to my mind is like, this sounds like a dinosaur. This sounds like 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 a velociraptor yelling or something because I <laughs> that's the first thing that came to my head. But it kept getting closer and louder and closer and louder. And like, oh my god, it, like it was so loud you could hear it inside the house. And my mom was freaking out. She told my dad, go, go take care of it, whatever it is. And my dad, like every Texan, has a good arsenal of guns. Um, <laughs> he, I think he grabbed his uh, his Magnum. I can't tell you what caliber, but I know it's pretty big. Um, and he fires in the direction of where that noise is coming from, like four shots, like dun, 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 in the direction of it. And we hear this thing run off. When it was running off, it sounded weird because I was out there with him. It sounded like you would hear a flop, like a foot hit the ground. And then like one, two, three, four, flop, one, two, three, four, flop. It sounded like it had a giant foot. Like it was like really long and like flat kind of foot. Just like one, two, like it it took time between each step. Because I remember it sounded weird to me when I heard it run. And then my brothers went out and looked to see if there's like any blood in the morning. Went to see, look, if there's any blood out in the woods or anything like that. We saw gun, like gun holes in some of the trees where my dad fired. Um, but we saw the footprints of it. And it, it almost reminded me of like a rabbit foot. How, how like a rabbit foot's long and skinny. Right. But it was like four times the size of it. In one of the do mud you, spots. Do you think there was any connection between that and the uh, cryptoid that you talked about earlier that was white and squatty? Do you think they could be the same? Uh, what I saw was a man. It looked like a man. Like I could have been a ghost for all I knew at the time. Um, but it looked like a man. And funny enough, I wasn't the only one that ever saw him. Um, when I think one of the times when I was in my teenage years, before I got my, my, uh, my first vehicle, uh, I had friends always drop me off at my house and from in, in town. And one of the times my friend, Steven, um, I was at his place. He went to drop me off at home and <laughs> he's heard the stories. And it was at nighttime. And he's like, hurry, get out. I don't want to see anything. <laughs> so I am getting out. And the next morning at school, I think he tells me, I'm never coming to your house again. I'm never coming to your house again. Like, what what happened? It was like, he said when he was driving down the road, he looked to his left and he saw the white figure that I described to him standing out in the field, that about waist high grass, just staring, standing out there and staring at him. And he basically punched it. And I think he said he ruined his shocks just off that because, you know, it's a bumpy road, potholes and stuff. And he punched it down the road and probably ruined his shocks. But yeah, he said, and yeah, he never did. He never did come back. But then again, about a couple months later, I got my truck. So I was fine. Um, but yeah, one of the few experiences from that ranch. Um, I can tell you some stuff Megan has dealt with when she was young. Now, uh, this, I need to explain why Megan has been haunted her, her whole life since she was a baby. Um, her, her mother has caught Megan in her crib talking to someone who isn't there. And then when she was asked, who are you talking to? She says, grandpa, her grandfather had passed away like 20 years before she was even born. So she had no idea who that uh, man would be talking to, but she knew it was grandpa. Um, Megan is a psychic uh, in all the real sense. And 
I'm not talking psychic in a, I guess there's like different categories. What we've learned anyway, studying psychics. Um, she has clear audience. She has clairvoyance. She um, can talk to the dead in, in a specific kind of way. Best way I describe it is if you give her a picture of the person who's passed and tell, and also tell her that, and uh, this, this was their favorite song by their favorite artist. She can listen to the song by the artist and focus on the person and she can find them and speak to them um, briefly. Uh, she's done it a couple of times, one with my best friend and a couple of times with my grandparents, who's also passed. And she's found them and talked to them, had a small conversation. And then that was it. Um, amongst her remote viewing skills, uh, I, I tell her that she's like the jack of all trades when she comes to psychic things, because she has a, like every psychic ability you can think of. Um, some she's more proficient than others, but, you know, it's just anything you can think of. She's tried doing. But. When she was a kid, uh, spirits would come to her all the time because they can see her. They see her as someone who can communicate with her. And that's kind of why she's always been haunted. Uh, one time she moved to a house because she's lived in North Carolina, majority of her life, where we are now. And one of the houses she moved in in Clinton, an old Victorian style house. Uh, first night there, they saw a box that had books in it when they were moving in slide across the entire floorway from a probably 20 feet. Uh, from one end to the other, uh, hearing footsteps walk around, stuff like that. Um, every place she's ever had, she's had different spirits follow her, knock on door. She she can name anything she, she's experienced. It's when I first started dating her that uh, I saw all this for myself. Um, what I like, I said at this time I was working overnight, and she uh, was going to school during the day, and. Some of the nights I would come over and I would just stay the night with her. I would be awake. She'd be asleep. She just liked me there. Um, but at night, let me tell you, I the first night, one of the nights I stayed there, we were in her bedroom and I was, she was asleep on the bed. I was watching TV and her TV, it was on a dresser that's right next to the closet. So it's right in, in your, uh, your line of sight. And I saw the doorknob rattle like someone was trying to come through, like someone was in the closet trying to get out. I stared at the closet door waiting for something to open and nothing like 10 minutes. So I'm like, okay. I can remember every like for a full hour. I just kept like looking at TV, looking at the closet door, looking at TV, looking at the closet door, <laughs> just waiting for something to open and nothing ever did. Um, the other, one of the other times I stayed over at a place, um, we were talking, I was sitting on her bed and we were talking about something and uh, a hand grabbed my ankle from underneath the bed. Like I thought someone was underneath her bed. I was like, Oh shit. What is that? And we looked underneath her bed, nothing there. Um, I remember one of the times we I was sitting on her couch and when you sit on the couch and watch TV in a living room, you have direct it goes down the hallway to the bedroom. And I remember I was sitting there. It was dark. And I see and she was on the couch with me. And I see like a girl peek her head around the corner or around on the side of the door so I could see her in a door frame. And I can see the hair like coming down and moving, like kind of swooping and like moving with her as she's peeking through the door and i looked at her like who the hell is that and she goes what and the, the hair of course that jumps back we run into her room nothing's there and what was strange is that the spot that the spirit was standing was where the dresser was so no one could actually physically be standing at that spot because there's a dresser in the way um yeah from hearing her name called and stuff like that but what we figured out in the early days is that she had five different spirits follow her around uh, an old man, like a senior citizen, uh, 
two kids, probably around the age of like five or six, uh, a young teenage girl, the one I saw, probably from the Victorian era, just because how her nightgown looked, as Megan described it, and a guy who was probably in his 30s to 40s, and he was the asshole. He was always caused problems. He would move things. He would call her name. He would uh, disrupt. He would like it, it was just a pain in the ass, technically. But when I came in the picture, um, he kind of tried to drive me away. But after he knew that I wasn't going anywhere, he disappeared. As all these spirits did over time, they kind of just like they got what they wanted from Megan or they just left. Uh, but yeah, that was like the early days of experiences that we had. But we started this podcast and Megan's psychic ability is kind of what's the word expanded. Um, she uh, engulfed herself more into it. So she became stronger with them because before she kind of put it off to the side. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with all this stuff as most psychics who see something and they don't they get scared and they don't want to deal with it anymore. So they kind of close themselves off from it. But no, after we started the podcast, Megan embraced it. She um, got more into it and then got stronger from it. Um, and early, funny enough, one of the early days, everyone listens to our early episodes. Uh, you will catch a ton of EVPs during the episode when we record. Um, Different voices. One time, I think we caught like it sounded like a dark entity going, uh, Megan. Like it was real deep and low as we were recording. And granted, we just have regular like SM58 mics, nothing special for recording spirits or anything like that. But yeah, um, there was a ton of EVPs in one of early episodes, not so much anymore. Um, after Megan has learned to how to protect our house uh, from stuff coming in or even trying to get here. It's funny. But, we, we've had so many people write us and say, hey, I think I caught an EVP. It's at the 12 minute and 37 second mark. It's always our dog snoring. It's always Ninja. It's never an EVP. <laughs> so <laughs> we we used to at first check it out. And then we just realized there was no point in checking it out. It's always Ninja snoring. Which I got blame on our dog. Um, <laughs> and granted, the room we're recording is not like it's not haunted per, per se. Um I mean, the house, we always have stuff come in every now and then a spirit trying to talk to Megan or something like that. It's probably walking by. Um, but I think it was about five or six months into the podcast of us doing episodes, talking about our stories and stuff like that, that we actually started. We uh, were looking to interview during the Halloween episodes, um, a paranormal team, you know, someone out there that we could get like a firsthand experience from, like actually talk to them. And one of the uh, members from this team uh, named Brandon, he reached out to us and said, hey, you guys looking for a paranormal team? I have one. And we've actually been investigating around this area. So they were local. We were like, oh, awesome. Cool. Uh, we can interview you guys this day. So we do. Uh, we set it up for Halloween. That was in, I think, July or August we talked. Um, in September, now this is where things get weird. And this is when I told you <laughs> in the beginning or beforehand that this is something you've never heard before. And I guarantee a lot of people haven't. In September of 2020, it was all over Reddit. It was all over uh, TikTok at the time and Instagram. A lot of psychics were talking about a great awakening happened. Um, something about psychics getting more powerful, something about other people awakening their psychic abilities, all that stuff, right? Um, now, I have never had any kind of psychic abilities my entire life never once was i ever able to talk to spirits see them or sense them anything like that other than the average person 
after September 2020, I gained an ability that I've never heard before in the psychic community. Um, it started in my hands and it's kind of stayed there forever. Then I have an ability to sense the energy of the dead. I can feel it in my hands. Um, and it almost a sensation of like when you're, um, your hands go numb, that uh, falling asleep feeling, that tingling sensation that starts. And it starts at the center of my palm and spread out to my fingers, the closer or more strong the entity is. Um, and that's one of the parts of this ability. Uh, not only can I feel them, I can pull the energy from them and take them off the plane, uh, if that makes any sense. In a sense that if a spirit's energy that they take to be here, physically here, to move an object, to turn the lights off, to, to be heard, any of that energy they have, I can pull it and take it from them. Um, and most people ask the follow-up question is, where does that energy go? Um, I best way I can describe it or explain it is that I can filter that energy to a neutral energy. So um, after practice and after I think a few months, I've, I figured out that when my right hand charged is what I call it, that sensation, um, that evil dark entity was nearby, demonic, evil, bad spirit, whatever you want to call them. When my left hand charged, that was a person, a human, uh, anything on the light side of energy, you would say. So most of the stuff I ever pull, I kind of make it a rule to myself is dark energy, because if a person's there, I kind of don't want to rip them off the plane. They're just there just trying to talk to you, get their message across. But something dark, something evil uh, kind of needs to be taken off. So I'm in our investigations as a paranormal investigator is like the enforcer, because we can go into dangerous places and never have to worry about anything hurting, scratching or anything like that, because I stopped him from even starting it. Now, this ability was not even, I couldn't find any information on it or anything like that. But after talking to this paranormal team, um, after, uh, after the interview in October, uh, one of the psychics on the team named Mike, who is very, very talented, talented psychic. He's almost shamanistic, if the best way to describe it. Um, he kind of leads uh, other psychics to understand. I worked with him for a while, and we actually started another paranormal team that split off from that original one to create the current paranormal team we have now. Well, actually, no, that's two different variations, sorry. We broke off from that paranormal team and I started another one with Brandon, Mike, his wife, me, and Megan. Um, I think we called it No Quarter Paranormal. Um, and I learned to harness, focus, figure out, and kind of not master my ability from investigations that we did. Um, not only can I pull the energy of uh, entity off the plane while standing in front of them. I learned if I can put my hand to the earth, um, to the ground, I can feel out by a good distance radius from myself and then pull all the energy in that radius to myself. For example, I have pulled an entire farm, an entire building, an entire block of dark energy at one point in time. Um, I can't tell you how many acres I've ever done, but a pretty good distance uh, of energy I pulled into myself. Um, so, yeah, when I say you never heard anything like this before, uh, did, I, did I stump you? Have you heard anything like this before? This kind of No, no, yeah. I've never. So let me make sure I understand this. You're saying that let's say you walk into a house that's got uh, a dark entity. Yes. You basically can use your hand 
to absorb that energy and kind of just take it away until you're done. Yeah. Is that basically in a nutshell what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, and so far, nothing. And I mean, not to say this cockily, uh, nothing has able to stop me. Um, uh, there's an experience I can tell you here in a minute, but I want to get to a little bit of this first. Um, yeah, after the paranormal team, the experiences we had together uh, from taking dark entities here and there from our investigations, we learned that doing this uh, is we as a team decided not so much that we need to investigate places, but we need to kind of clear them, like make them less haunted in a sense. Not less haunted in a sense we're going to take move all the spirits out, but like any spirit that wanted crossing over, we could help them do so. And then any dark entity that was there, we could get rid of. So in our investigations, we started doing that kind of like not as much as investigating, but as more of helping spirits move on and clearing out the dark entities there. Um, one of these experiences. Where, where do the dark ahead. entities go? Like, so you clear it from this spot, but it's got to go somewhere, right? Yeah, just not there anymore. Um, how to describe it? When I pull the energy off, take it away, uh, that entity is no longer there. And what we learned is that sometimes dark entities keep uh, people bullied and almost imprisoned in locations from leaving or even crossing over. Uh, for example, one of these places we investigated called Webb Library in uh, Moorhead, North Carolina. Um, it used to be a children's hospital. Uh, during the time of the tuberculosis crisis uh, in that, I guess, I don't know what year, early 1913, 1910s, I can't remember when, um, was a children's hospital at that time. Then it became a regular doctor's office. Then I think became something else. And then finally a library where it has been for about 50, 60 years. But um, a lot of spirits were in there. And one of the first times we went there, um, Funny enough, we couldn't get in because the the, uh, <laughs> the curator forgot to give us the key. So we drove all the way over there for nothing, essentially. But me standing outside the building, I felt something. And I was like, oh, there's something here. Let me grab it. And I pulled it and I took it. And uh, Mike was aware of what I did. And he's like, what did you do? It's like, something was there. I took it. He's like, oh, you pissed them off. I'm like, what? He said, there was three entities in there, three dark ones. They were kind of like the, uh, you know, they were in charge. They were bullying. They were keeping everybody in line. And you just took one away. And like, other two are pissed now. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. Um, so uh, we go back another time to actually investigate. And this is the time that something, the evidence of what I was doing was clear. Let's say that. Um, I describe the feeling of pulling these entities into two categories, smoke and sand. Smoke uh, is a sensation, how it feels when I pull it. Like, it, like you can't tangibly hold smoke, but if you put your hand through it, you can kind of feel it. That's how I describe it. Um, those are like weaker entities, like something like a human, a human dark entity, like a bad person who just crossed over and died and just became an asshole in that life, too. That's like that. But something darker, something older is more like sand. It's coarser. It's harder. It's, it causes me actual physical pain sometimes to take these things off. Uh, but these two entities that were left over were sand. Uh, they were very, very strong sand. One of them I took up in the um, second floor because it's a two-story library uh, in the the kitchen area. I think it was the break room for the librarians there. Um, 
he was apparently was using a mirror to come in and out. When I pulled from the mirror, he tried to run. I grabbed him before he could. And it pissed the last one off, which we were actually were told through the spirit box that it was in the basement. Uh, one of the other spirits basically ratted on him <laughs> until he's in the basement. I was like, okay. So we go down to the basement and we have the spirit box on, mind you. And while we we're in the basement, me, Brandon, and Mike were down there. And then uh, Brandon and Mike start doing a prayer, like out loud prayer with spirit box on as I was putting my hand to the basement concrete floor so I can get the full building. Um, and we hear over the spirit box, shut up, uh, like shut up, stop bits you know don't do this like other stuff like that like it was telling us to be quiet uh and mike was getting <laughs> get pissed off it's like like you gonna tell us what to do you have no power here stuff like that and i f- i'm feeling the ground i'm feeling everything that i, f- I kind of i think i find it so i start a pull and when i pulled the building i could feel all the energy as i was pulling it it was it was a lot it was coarse it was hard it almost felt like i was pulling like a cylinder out of the ground like a perfect like cylinder of like energy, I guess, out of the ground, like it was sliding out like that, like I was pulling it out. And uh, after it was done, after I pulled it, everything I had it, and, and, and like that, we looked around just to make sure, um, like it's it's clear. Because I, I basically was like, I was a little woozy after because it, it kind of takes a lot out of me in the beginning. We look in the ceiling, and the granite, the ceiling was very short. Like I'm five ten, and the roof was ceiling was probably I don't know six four, six five. I could touch my hand standing up and touch it. Let's say that. Uh, we saw finger marks in the dust, long fingers, like like almost marks, like someone who was being dragged down. And these weren't our own because we put our hand to it and the fingers were about twice the size of our own. Uh, and that was like evidence, like something was being dragged down. So when we saw those like, holy crap. <laughs> uh, I think we had a picture we posted on the on the thing about it, but. Yeah, that was at that location. Uh, we investigated a few other places around the New Bern, Swansboro area. Um, I think one called a Witching Road that supposedly had a demon there. Um, when I pulled the ground at that place, it felt like muck, like oil, thick, black, like muck is the best way I can describe it out of the ground when I did. It, it felt it felt strange when I did it. But um, when I say that I have uh, confidence that nothing's able to stop me uh, is because I learned to imprison these things rather than filter them Uh, to uh, basically put them in an object rather than filter the energy. So I technically I created a haunted object um, that they can't get out of that I use now as instead of actually filtering, because what we learned about filtering, it was damaging me. I'm 34 years old and I have gray in my beard on the, the right side of my face in certain spots that like I've had to deal with extra stress. I'm not a stressful person. I don't, I don't really deal with stress much, but um, there's no reason why I have gray hairs. My father didn't get gray hair into his forties. Same for my grandparents, stuff like that. So it was strange. So Megan took that as an, as a, a sign that, you know, you need to stop filtering these things. You need to put them somewhere or like just stop doing it. So I learned to um, put them in an object by just commanding. Because I was told multiple times that I have a very strong throat chakra, if anyone believes in that. But I was able to command them into objects, uh, specifically one that we use all the time now. Um, 
but something happened to, um, and this is why I talk about that. I don't think anything ever stopped me. Um, something happened to my friend, Mike, who's the psychic on the team, the shamanistic one that I mentioned earlier. He, he has two sons uh, that are about in high school age. And one of his sons uh, had a friend named Dylan who uh, came over to his house and stayed with him because he was a foster kid. He didn't like where he was staying. Mike, of course, opening his heart to the whole situation, said, come on, stay with me. That's fine. Yeah, we got plenty of room, stuff like that. Lo and behold, or I guess he didn't even notice this when he first invited the kid in. After about a week or so, he figured out that this kid has an attachment, a demonic attachment. Um, he was being oppressed, not possessed. He was being oppressed. Something was attached to him. It wasn't letting go. Um, Megan, using her ability to um, remote view, she went to Mike's house to see if this thing is there. And she saw it. And what she saw in her remote viewing is the best way she described it to me is like, can you imagine Groot uh, from Marvel comics and stuff like that? But all black, like he's been burnt um, and almost dead at the same time with a human head with like uh, wood antler, wooden antlers for horns um, with like red blood eyes is all black and it looked at Megan, it, it laughed and said, aha, it sends a witch after me. Right. They, they're sending a witch and she didn't understand what the hell they're talking about. And she basically shot back to herself here and she told me what happened. We tried to go to uh, Mike's house and granted, he lives about 20 minutes from us. We tried numerous times to go to Mike's house to help him to get rid of this thing. Now, finally, I, I, and I'll say a challenge, but see if I can actually do this. Can I take a demon off the plane? Can I take something that? old that ancient that powerful can we can i actually do it there's been no question since i ever learned this ability of mine um so it took weeks after i finally to happen because my kid getting sick his cancer that he had kept coming back um and it was just at bad times like we never could our car broke down so we couldn't drive there a lot of things were preventing us from getting to, to his house but after two weeks or so we we had enough we i think we our car was fixed we finally went nothing stopped us and oh, granted, we talked to uh, Mike and his wife, Megan, funny enough, his wife's name, Megan, too, uh, over the like a Zoom, not a Zoom thing, like a Instagram call. And uh, she looked distraught, bags under her eyes. She looked like, like hell, like she was just tired, like she's been worn down, and beaten down. She's saying she hasn't gotten any sleep. She keeps having nightmares. She's scared for Mike. She doesn't know what's going on, stuff like that. And we were like, OK, this is it. We've got to go. So. We get to the house. Um, granted, Dylan's there, and Mike is—he's had enough of this as well. And oh, we begin the process of, I guess, our version of exorcism. And our plan was simple: is that uh, I would be in the room with Mike and Dylan, and and, and uh, we try to provoke this thing from coming out and attacking me, where I could grab it. Megan would be outside, um, preventing this thing from running. Uh, sidebar, uh, Megan, <laughs> amongst many of her other psychic abilities, has learned to manipulate the energy around her. Uh, she can almost push back anything that gets at her, like almost like putting up a shield, essentially, of light energy. So anything dark can be run at her. She can basically push them back. So her job essentially was to keep this thing from running. Because I wasn't so much worried about it attacking or trying to possess somebody. I was worried about it running. 
Um, so it's we I I talk to it, I provoke it, I'd say stuff like, oh, be the first one to take me down, you're nothing more than coward, anything I could think of to basically get this thing to come out and attack. And while Mike was doing a, a Native American prayer, um, because he has more roots with Native Americanism than anything, but he was doing a Native American prayer to try to cut the ties. And yeah, it actually worked. He cut the tie that was tying the demon to Dylan. And when it did, I felt it and I pulled it. I had it and I grabbed it. I I absorbed the energy from it before he could run. And I entrapped it. I imprisoned it in the the haunted object that we have. Uh, Let me tell you this. I was extremely surprised of how easy it was. And I, like I said, I don't say this cockily. It was easy. So easy that I thought I made a mistake. Did I actually get it? Did this actually happen? Is it still out here? Is it anything like that? I I questioned myself because this this demon that had two psychics in their own home in distraught in misery for weeks had the ability to do this presented itself to my wife like a giant demonic root. Um, I took off the plane easier than I took anything ever out in the field when we investigated. But yeah, it was gone. I took this thing, which and later we figured out that it was all talk. It really was just boasting itself to make itself bigger than it was. And really, it was so easy. I thought I made a mistake. But no, it's entrapped in the object because um, Mike can hear it in it um, as he can hear everything that I've put in it so far. Uh, and uh, it, he says it sounds like a prison when he listens into the object. Uh, I was going like, to say, is, it the, is all these entities in the same object? Yes. Does that seem like that might be a uh, haphazard move? Should something ever happen and they be able to get out, that they would be all unleashed in the same place? For some reason, they can't leave. Um, Megan has looked into it once and she says she'll never look into it again. But she says she describes it when she looked in like it was a giant glass dome with all these, like she calls them Dementor from Harry Potter, <laughs> Dementor looking entities swirling around, screaming, hitting the glass. And it's not, not, not even making a slight dent in it, just swirling around. Like she said, almost like a dark snow globe in a sense um, with like, it almost looks like a drain on the bottom that only comes in and doesn't go out uh, as how she describes it. Mike, when he interprets it, he says it sounds and looks like a prison. Like all these entities, like shadow figures are in like this giant like prison. They're running free, essentially, but they can't leave. They have no way of leaving. And they're swearing and they're cussing and they're screaming. They're all in there and able to leave. Um, but just for safe measures, believe me, I, I've thought about this is the fact that this is dangerous. I should have somewhere to keep it. So I've actually had built a box, a wooden box, um, about the size of a ring box to hold this object where it can stay um, and enclosed. And this box has been engraved uh, and carved with every protective symbol that you can think of from ruins to Christian symbols, from Jewish symbols, from Islamic symbols, anything you can think of is engraved on this wooden box that prevents this thing from leaving. It's almost like a Faraday box in a sense that nothing can get out. Um, and she, my, my huh, Megan says, yeah, when that box is closed and objects inside, she can't hear anything from it. But second, I open it up, she can hear everything. So that's just like it's a, a safe, you would say, <laughs> where we keep this thing. Um, but it, it keeps me from filtering uh, 
entities, but it also has a place to put them. Uh, and I told a person when I was I asked him to build this box, I was like, you, you know, you're building this for, right? And he goes, what? He says, potentially the most dangerous haunted object in the entire world. He's like, what the hell? <laughs> I, I scared the shit out of him. Um, and he's like, what do you mean? Like, I kind of told him what I do and how the paranormal team He's like, oh, that's cool. He says he believes in a little bit of stuff, but he's not really, he's like more of a skeptic, but he says, whatever makes me happy. You know, I'm just, just a job to him. But anyway, no, that kind of freaked him out when I told him that. But no, uh, it so far, like I said, nothing's been able to stop me. Uh, and about, I would say a year ago. No, yeah, about a year ago. Um, we actually got to interview a woman named Peta from Eternal Sisters Paranormal in Australia, uh, one of our bonus episodes that we did. Uh, and after I told her about this ability of mine uh, in, in, in discussion we were talking about, she's like, hold on. I know someone who can do that. I'm like, what do you really, what? I'm like, yeah, it's like, I've never met anyone else who can do this. Her friend Jane, who's also part of the same team, uh, apparently has the same ability as me, but her is more focused on light. She can pull the energy of people, of light energy, absorb it, and then transfer it to the other side. Like she helps them cross over if they need help crossing over. Um, she never deals with anything dark or whatsoever. Uh, and after talking to her, and she's like, this, she said she looked at information on it. She tried to find stuff on it. It's like, it's, there's nothing out there. She said she went to her shaman and talked about it. And the shaman basically told her that this is an extremely rare psychic ability. There is less than maybe a hundred in the entire world who can do this. Um, it's not like extremely rare that it doesn't exist, but it is not a lot. So that's why there's no information on it or, or barely any information. on it. What she found, the only thing she found was uh, a title or name described uh, for them. And this is originally from a Native American lore. It was called a shadow walker. That's that's technically what I am and what she is, is a shadow walker, uh, a person who can walk between worlds uh, of shadows of the of the of human and dead is the best description that she got from it. But uh, the other term was spirit, spirit walker or spirit warrior. But shadow walker is what she found is essentially what I am. And funny enough, that's the name of our paranormal team, shadow walker paranormal. Um <laughs> which now is down to me, my wife, Mike, and his wife. Uh, other members left because their point of view of what we want to do wasn't the same. So, but yeah, it's just us four. And each of us are psychics on the team. Each of us have a specific ability and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, when we go out investigating, it's, uh, it's always something going on. And I, I think I chalk it up to the fact that if you have an entire team of psychics, a lot of spirits want to come talk to you. So a lot of investigations that we've done has always been active. There's always something we can hear, see, do. It's always, there's always something. But so, Isaac, it's been a blast having you on. It's even been more fun than I thought it would be. <laughs> and uh, I wish I had a better voice to give you proper accolades, but you'll just have to deal with this, unfortunately. But you guys right. have gotten a sample of what it's like uh, to listen to the show and some of the stories. And like I said, this is just barely scratched the surface. And uh, Isaac, tell them how they can keep up with all things uh, hidden in the shadows. Yeah, our podcast usually come out every Friday or Saturday, depending on when we have time, because we also have the permanent investigators on the side as well. But yeah, um, you can listen to us on uh, iTunes, Spotify, Our Heart Radio, wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, or you just go directly to our website, hiddenshadowspodcast.com, where it has links to all our social media, all places where you can listen to us, even our merch store. 
Um, so yeah. And we always, you know, if you ever want to get in touch with us, like message us and stuff like that, uh, hidden the shadows podcast on uh, Instagram or yeah, hidden the shadows podcast on Instagram is the best way to get in contact with us. Uh, ask us questions, give us uh, send us stories, anything like that. Cause we're always looking to talk to people and stuff. Also, I, I want to say this before we get off. You had mentioned something about uh, your child and cancer. I just want to say that I hope that situation's better now and uh, would definitely keep you guys in our thoughts and prayers. Oh, not not my kid. No, uh, Mike, oh. uh, the, psych- the psychic on our team. Uh, he's he's in remission right now, so he's he's good. It was just at that time um, it came back okay. and then strangely enough, left the same time we got rid of the demon. So uh, the doctor had no idea what happened and stuff like that, but. You know, we're not going to tell him the whole story because he's going to think it's crazy. But <laughs> no, he's 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 good. Now. He's doing good. Good, good. All right, brother. It was nice talking with you. And uh, guys, go listen to uh, the podcast. You're going to love it. Leave them a five star review because you're going to want to. And make sure you mention that you heard about them here at Hibbley Horror Stories. All right, guys, that wraps it up for this week. Thank you so much for everything you do for us. We love you guys and we appreciate you every single day. Absolutely, guys, are the best. The best assist. Yes. We pray that you guys have a blessed week. Bye.